Thank you for tuning in to Z Code Sports Betting Podcast. Let the show begin. Hi guys, Scott here and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Z Code Sports Betting Podcast. It doesn't matter if you are a diehard soccer fan like our guest today, Rob, or if you have no clue about soccer at all, I bet somewhere on your radar there is some discussion about the biggest sports event of this year. And yes, I am talking about the World Cup Soccer in Brazil, which is starting very soon. So it is the perfect time to talk about it, to see insights from a person who knows just about everything about soccer and even a little more. So today on the call, I have the legendary soccer expert, Rob. He is quite famous in our Z Code community, and he's a great contributor there. Rob is from the UK, but he's traveling all over the world to see firsthand all the games that he can because this guy is just that passionate about soccer. So, hey, Rob, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you today, sir. Hi, Scott. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, you are one of the best soccer experts in our Zico community, uh, which is going to make you even more popular in these next few months. Everyone's going to be knocking (laughs) on your door for advice for sure. (laughs) So, Please tell us a little bit okay, about well, yourself. There's some, there's some good guys out there who know their stuff. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're from. Okay, so I, I live in a town um, in England, just about an hour away from London. I guess in, when I was a little bit younger, I, I played very low-level amateur football in some of the local leagues. And now I've got to a stage where my body doesn't want, can't handle the game anymore. I, I spend a lot of time um, watching club football and uh, also travel around with England where, when they play in both home and away. So uh, I still get my football fixed, but it's, uh, it's, it's not as much as when I, used to, when I used to play when I was younger. Well, before diving deep into advanced stuff about your soccer insights, let's talk a little bit more about soccer itself, um, a sport for guys like me from the U.S. who don't really follow soccer like the Europeans do. Now, I am a tad bit of the exception because I did play soccer growing up, or football, if you will, (laughs) and I was captain of my high school soccer team, and I even lived in Brazil for uh, uh, several years, and we know that Brazil only has two religions, and that's Catholicism and football. Exactly. So, (laughs) But I know for most of us Americans, all we know is that it's 11 men playing with the ball, and then Germany wins. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, there's more Spain wins now, I think, than Germany. But yeah, <laughs> I've heard that joke a while back as well. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit more about soccer. Well, it's it's a very simple game. Um, all you need is, is a ball and a bit of space, um, whether it's a park or a beach. Um, you know, I, we used to, used to play on the streets quite often when I was growing up. Um, and it doesn't need to be the full 11-a-side games that you see on television. You know, we I often played with... Uh, four or five aside, depending how many people you, you, how many of your friends you could get to play. Um, it just depends on, on the size of the space you have available. You know, there's various sports halls and outdoor pitches you can hire. Um, like I said, the game can be either indoors or outdoors. And often the smaller side of games where you're playing four or five or six aside, it, it's, it's a much better way to improve your skills as a player. The rules are, are uh, defined by FIFA and they're, they're governed globally. Um, and then, Throughout the world, you have different confederations. So you'll have UEFA look after football in Europe, CONCACAF, 
look at uh, North America, Central America and the, and the Caribbean. There's the Asian Football Federation and, and so on and so on. And But all, all of them have to abide by the rules that FIFA set. And uh, FIFA have always tried to have the same set of rules for all the leagues and all the countries. So you, you play the same number of minutes, same number of substitutions, all this sort of stuff. And they claim this is why they've been really against modernizing the, the, some of the rules with things like goal line technology, which obviously you have in things like ice hockey, you have the buzzer if the puck goes over the, the line and things like that. And they've got a little bit of stick for that, really. Is you know they're saying we've got the technology. Why won't you bring it in? Why won't you bring it in? And this last year in the Premier League in England, they have had goal line technology, and uh, I think it's worked pretty well. There haven't been too many incidents um, where it's been called upon, but it, it's worked when it has. But the game itself, if you, if you want to go back in history, there's records of it hundreds of years ago in some sort of form, and over time it, it developed into. Uh, rugby football, which we now call rugby, and association football, which is, let's say the word soccer came from a, sh- a shortened version of association. Um, so that, that's where we get the two, rugby football, association football. In England, we narrow it just down to football. Um, other countries call football something different. In America, you have uh, American football's football. In Australia, they have footballers there funny game they play where they kick things around. Um, but I say we, we, we generally call it football in England. Well, in your opinion, while soccer or yep. football is statistically the world's number one most watched, most popular sport, without a doubt, yep. why do you think it's not that popular in the U.S.? The popularity is definitely growing. I think uh, at youth level, there's a lot of people play it. and I, I haven't got the stats in front of me, but I'm sure somebody told me uh, at the kids' level, it's, it's actually more popular than some of the traditional American sports. And uh, if you look at the women's national team in America, it's, it's one of the best in the world. Um, and that's possibly because the women's game in general is, is a lot further behind the men. So they haven't had as far to catch up to, to, you know, to be one of the powerhouses. Um, but the men's team is also, it, it's been improving all the time. You know, there was a few years ago, you'd think, OK, we've just got to turn up to, to, to beat America. But that's not the case now. You know, they may be not absolutely top draw, but, but they're still a very difficult team to, to play against. And they, they've, they've beaten some very, very good sides in recent years. I mean, uh, England played them in the, in the World Cup in South Africa four years ago um, in Rustenburg. And, you know, we drew that game 1-1. But I, I think um, it, it, you're talking about the popularity. I, I think maybe people have had a, you know, you've got established sports in America, your NBA, NHL. NFL baseball leagues it's hard to get away from something that people enjoy and you know they're saying I enjoy this why do I necessarily go want to go and find something else and possibly something else that, that fans in the US might consider is that uh, football matches end in a draw and you know all your games in America they don't there's, there's always a winner in every game so perhaps something like that makes uh, you know maybe maybe take something away as far as the US fans are concerned I, I don't know you know other factors is People on TV, they just want to watch elite sports. And if they if they don't have the access to the top leagues, the Spanish leagues, the English leagues, you know, they, they won't be interested. And if there's, if there's local teams, they, they just won't be interested. You know, many years ago, I can remember we, we, we had a American football. They tried to start, kick it off with a European league. And there was a team in London called the London Monarchs. And it, it didn't really get anywhere. But now we're getting regular NFL games in London. They are sellouts. The games for next season are already sold out. I think they've got three games down there. And I think eventually we will see an NFL team in uh, in London. But that's going off on a bit of a tangent. You know, the, the MLS, the, the National League in the States, um, 
it's it's not as high profile as, as the top European leagues yet, but they're, they're working hard and they're bringing over some really good players, even though they're towards the end of their careers. Players like uh, Thierry Henry, who, who went to New York Red Bull, and uh, more recently Jermaine Defoe has just gone to Toronto. And I think the biggest name from our point of view would probably be uh, David Beckham, who who went into LA Galaxy, had, had a very successful time there for about five years. And he's just now, t- he's going to be having a franchise uh, in Miami. So I think, uh, you know, Football is or soccer is definitely moving forward in 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 the U.S. Uh, in the eyes of the U.S. public. Well, there definitely is a ton of money to be made by betting on soccer, but mm-hmm. there's so many countries, there's so many leagues. I, I bet it's easy to get overexcited and to start over betting. So, what do you suggest to those who are just starting to bet on soccer to kind of avoid this trap of over betting? I, I think you've got to. It, it depends which. Um, Bookies you have, I mean, uh, some of the books we have in in, in the UK, they, you can bet on anything in a match. It's absolutely ridiculous, some of the things they, they you can bet on. But I, I always stick to the simple things. You look at the match results or match totals. If you stick to those, that they're probably the safest things to go for. And it's also trying to pick the main leagues. You know, some of these, um, there are some leagues where, Results are a bit stranger than than you might think they would be. So if you stick to the main leagues where you, where you can trust them a bit more, I think that's that's an important uh, important thing to look at as well. You know, stick to the Spanish leagues, Germany, Britain, uh, England, Scotland, th- those sort of ones. Well, you mentioned something earlier about uh, Americans not yeah. being accustomed to like the ties and the draws. Uh, so now that we're looking at betting on soccer, we've got this additional way that a game can end that maybe we're not so accustomed to, uh, makes it a little harder to predict and adds a new element to the betting. So what tips would you offer us about betting with a tie, maybe using spreads or? Yeah. So, so I I think first thing you you mentioned, spreads there it's quite important to understand that the handicaps they give in in, in football you, depending on your bookmaker you, you're going to get either asian handicaps or three-way handicaps so the difference there is the asian handicap you will have a winner either side so one team or the other will win you also have the option of a push so if you if you bet on a team minus one and they win by one goal you'll get your money back on a three-way handicap they will give you the result three ways. So if you bet on a team minus one, they win by a goal, you'll lose your bet because they'll say, well, that, that was a tie. You thought they'd only win by, you know, you, you, you've bet, we've got three results possible here. So it's really important to understand that, I think, on the handicaps when you're, when, when you're, when you're, um, when you're betting. But, uh, you know, you talk about the, the, the three-way results, really strange. You know, in, um, in hockey especially, quite often you, you bet on regulation, you know, maybe the, the Chicago Blackhawks are playing one of the weaker sides. You think, well, I'm, I'm going to take them on the regulation price rather than the money line because I don't think it'll go to overtime. So in that case, the, the three-way result isn't really that much different to, to what you can get in hockey. Well, speaking of hockey, I have recently yep. interviewed a hockey expert, and we talked about matches being fixed. Yep. Uh, what, what do you think about matches being fixed in soccer? I mean, I heard it mm-hmm. does not really happen in Premier Leagues, but then we've got this media buzz going about – fixes in some of these smaller leagues? I think actual fixing of the results in in the top leagues is incredibly hard. Just just on a sporting basis, you'd, you'd probably have to get to the referee rather than the players because I, th- I think if you look at statistics, a player, even if they're incredibly influential in a game, out of the 90 minutes, they'll probably touch the ball for two minutes maximum. So... 
you're going to have to get get to a lot of players to affect the outcome of a game. The other ways you you could affect, uh, you know, you get to a referee, maybe he could do something. But there's, there's just so much monitoring and regulations. Even even betting, you know, in England, um, there are very strict rules. Players aren't even allowed to bet on games in, in, in the competition they're involved in. And every now and then, they're, they're getting fined for doing this. So I think match fixing itself, at the top leagues, I... I I can't see that happening. I'm not saying it doesn't. I'd, I'd just be absolutely shocked if, if it did. But, yeah, never say never. The next thing is you, you could talk about taking advantage of a situation. Now, some of some of the older guys in, who are listening in Europe, they might remember back in the 1982 World Cup in Spain, the format of the tournament was a little bit different then. And there was one of the groups that had West Germany, as it was then, Austria, and I think it was Algeria. Last game, West Germany playing Austria. And I think the, the situation was if West Germany won 1-0, both West Germany and Austria qualified. Take a guess what the score was. It's 1-0 to West Germany. 1-0, yeah. 1-0 to West Germany. And to watch it, I, I can remember watching on TV. You've never seen, two, once the first goal was scored, you've never seen two sets of players less interested in playing a game in your life. They were just passing the ball backwards and forwards between themselves. They weren't even, they didn't even go over, each, you know, didn't even go into each other's halves. And they were taking advantage of a situation. So had they broken a rule? I, I don't know. Is that considered a fix? It's hard to prove something like that. The next thing you could do is is, is spot fixing, and like I said earlier, the, in England you can you can bet on a ridiculous number of of different uh, types of bets. There was um, what there was a player in England years ago. He said that you used to be able to bet on the time of the first throw in, for example. So a couple of the players they tried to get together. And he said, okay, at kickoff, roll the ball to me. I'll just kick it straight out of play. First throw ins within a minute. We win, then we can get on with the game. So that sort of stuff, I think he, he said he, they didn't do it. He talked about the he possibly thought he could. They didn't do it in the end. But you, you could see how this spot fixing where you're betting on very specific incidents, maybe a player is going to get a yellow card, something like that. That would be quite easy to do. And I think there have been a few cases where, where that happens. In another sport, in cricket, we've actually had players sent to jail for, for spot fixing in, a, in an international match. So. Wow. Yeah, they they would they were got at by a bookie or a senior player, and um, they said you know bowl a no ball in the whatever over. They looked at the video; he's done this, and they said right. And I think he got about eighteen months in jail for it, and then his career's ruined. You know, as a young lad, he was I think he was only eighteen or nineteen. It was, you know, he's thrown away his career over that. So uh, you know, the top sports. I don't know why you do it because they earn so much money. It's just it's just not worth it. Sure. Yeah. Well, can you compare betting big leagues like England Premier League yep. versus betting small minor leagues? And I asked that question for a couple of reasons. Yep. Obviously, bookies are sharper on those high-profile games. So yep. I'm curious, as a newbie, does it mean it's easier to win on minor league betting? I think bookies are smart. You know, they're not going to offer any prices on anything they're not happy with. What what I do notice is that if you bet on say a Premier League match or a Bundesliga match in Germany, there's a whole range of options you can you can pick. You know, time of the first goal, um, first goal scorers, all all this sort of stuff. If you pick a less popular league, say you know, one in Montenegro or or something like this, all you'll get is the result. You can't you can't have these other options. Maybe there's there's no spread options, things like that. So the bookies. If they don't think they can price something correctly, they won't offer it. The one thing I would say is about the bigger leagues, from our point of view as betters, uh, you have a lot more information available. 
the bookies will always have more but, and, and better information. But I, I think um, yeah, maybe if you know, if, if you've got a bit of information, maybe it's a local team to you in a smaller league, yeah, you, you might be able to do all right on it. But there's limited data about these sides, so it, it can be quite hard on the smaller leagues. Well, the Z Code recently introduced line reversals on soccer, which does not have much data yet. But it's already been showing some promising results. Can you tell us a little bit more about line reversals in general and how they're going to play to soccer? Yeah, so so I think we've spoken about this already. The one the one problem, um, obviously, the, the line reversals have been working for uh, for base uh, for um, for some of the other sports quite well. The hockey w- w- was doing well with that. With Cliff had this his fade the public. Uh, line reverse which was doing quite well um but the problem with uh, football is that it's a three-way result so just because the price goes down or up on you know down on the win it doesn't necessarily mean the other side's going to win people could be favoring the draw so i started having a look at this but i've ignored what's written on there is the money line which i think it should actually say three-way result rather than the money line it's a little bit misleading and i've been looking at the spreads and just looking at some data i've been collecting like you said we haven't got too much yet I've started to notice it seems to be a bit of a trend. If we can find games where the spread is at least plus or minus one and there's a line movement either for or against the favourites an hour before kickoff, that seems to be promising. Out of 27 games, we've got 19 wins and eight losses, which is giving us 11 units. That's it's, it's a good start, but I think we need more data to see if we can filter that down a bit more. But... Uh, Definitely on the spreads, there could be something there. I'm not, I've, I've got to try and have a bit more of a think about uh, how the regulation prices would work because there's three, there's three results involved. Yeah, it is off to a good start. Mm. Uh, of course, we talked a little bit earlier about that you travel a lot for international matches. Yep. Uh, I'm a big fan of traveling. I love to travel. So I want to ask you maybe a somewhat personal question. What's mm-hmm. your favorite place to go? Favorite place to go? You, you mean just as part of the whole football trip? Yeah, your travel to to watch these international matches. I, th- I think, yeah, I, I've been what I've probably been traveling to watch England for more than ten years into different countries, and uh, there are certain places you you look at, you know, when you know you're going to go somewhere, you think, oh, great, we'll go and do this, that, and the other. And uh, I, th- I think it depends. It can depend on the time of year you're going to go there, because we can't obviously decide. You know, if, if they say we've got to go and play in uh, in Moscow in October, you've got no choice. You're going you're going in October. It may not be the best time of year to visit there. So what what it does give you the opportunity is when when you go to some of these destinations, they're places you may not really go to otherwise. So when you do that, you think, okay, let's try and explore here a little bit because I'm not going to take my wife away on on holiday to this place. She just wouldn't be interested. So I'll, I'll try and find something a bit more about it rather than just sit in a bar and then go to the game and and fly out again. So, you know, there's a few places I've been. We, we went up to the old, we were in Ukraine a couple of years ago. We went up to the old uh, Chernobyl nuclear place, you know, the, the, where there was the explosion. In. Yeah. Not, yeah. You, you, you could do tours out there um, at one stage. I don't know if they're still going on or not, but, um, and you could get quite close to where the old, uh, old reactor was. So we, we did that. Um, last year in Brazil, we did a, we did a little tour around one of the favelas in uh, Rio de Janeiro. When we went to Kazakhstan, which uh, for some bizarre reason, if you ever look at a map where Kazakhstan is, um, they actually class it under the, and it seems to be one of the European sides, but we ended up going out of the city and we went to this beautiful canyon. It was only 80 miles from the Chinese border, so I'm not really sure how that was in uh, in in, uh, in Europe. But, um, you know, it's just, just doing 
little things like that where you, it's something quite unique. I think those are some of the, the trips you, you try and get something out of it when you go there. But for the actual best trips I've enjoyed, England came to the United States in 2005. We played uh, a game against America in uh, Soldier Field in Chicago. And then we played, I think it was Columbia in the Giants Stadium. Uh, that, that, was a, that was a good five days. We had fun there. We also really enjoyed the World Cup in Germany in 2006. Those are those are probably the best uh, trips just for enjoyment. Well, I too have done the favela tours in Rio, and I recommend for anybody that's going down for the World Cup to take that tour as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of World Cup in Brazil, are you planning on going? Yep, definitely. Um, I had my injections the other week. Um, I actually went out to to, uh, to Brazil last year when they opened the Maracanã Stadium, when that was reopened. England were invited to uh, to play in the opening match. I think that was a reciprocal thing. When we had Wembley Stadium was rebuilt in 2007, Brazil were invited. So we've already had a taste of, of, of what Rio has to offer. And uh, the stadium was re- it wasn't quite finished. There was a few, you know, the little finishing touches. A few of the signs weren't up behind the, you know, the food counters and what have you. But uh, it, it's it's a magnificent stadium. It really is. It's well worthy of uh, hosting a World Cup final. But I'm not sure if I'll go there for the Brazil this time. I'm, I'm going to go and watch two of the England games. I'm going up to um, the Amazon in Manaus to watch England and Italy. And a few days later, we're back down in Sao Paulo to watch uh, England and Uruguay. Um, and if England get to the final, I will have a ticket. But uh, I'm not holding my breath about that one. <laughs> okay. Well, no matter if people go directly to Brazil like you or they stay at home, uh, there's a ton of money to be made betting on such a high-profile event, clearly. And I'm sure there's a lot of extra betting options. Prop bets will be available. What do you think of most profitable betting option for such a huge event like this? I I think just generally there's there's such a feel-good factor around a a tournament like this whenever England or any of the the home countries are involved, you know, Scotland Scotland or Wales or wherever are playing in those. Everybody gets so excited. The bookies try and get you involved, you know, saying, oh, if England got knocked out, you've got to be an honorary German or, or whatever, follow Germany. They're just trying to find new and inventive ways to try and get money out of you. So I think you've got to try and avoid getting caught up in all that because, um, you know, it, it's it's easy to, to lose focus on what we're trying to do there. But I think if you're looking at tournaments, um, the first in the, in the groups in the first stages, there are only three games. So I think it's really important in any tournament, the team, you mustn't lose your first game. So I think... I think I've got I've got to check historically the first round of group matches there will probably be more draws than you'd statistically expect out of what the eight games I mean uh, I think England's first game when we play Italy at that is an absolute nailed on draw nil nil or one one there's just to me, me there's no other result on that but you know I think as as the tournament progresses you you just got to look at the situation for each match you know don't don't abandon what you normally do for 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 betting on the sport throughout the year purely because it's a world cup you know if you, if something's successful for 11 months of the year why change it for the one month during the world cup in a world cup there's a lot of countries participating so yep. would you mind 32. going quickly yep. how many 32 32 can yep. you just quickly go through maybe each group and give an expert opinion on which teams will proceed? Sure. So so what there is is eight groups, uh, four teams in each. The top two teams, they all play each other once. Top two teams progress to the knockout stages. You've got last 16, quarterfinal, semifinal, um, final. Um, so Group A, uh, I think what you find is traditionally in, 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 in World Cups held in South America, 
it's very difficult for the European sides. The, the South American teams normally do really strong, really well in these in these uh, in, in tournaments there. So we'll just quickly whip through the groups, and that that's really where my, my focus has gone on these. So Group A, I think you're looking at Brazil and Mexico to qualify, with Croatia and Cameroon missing out. Group B is probably the hardest one to call, and it's a really tough group. You've got Spain, Holland, and Chile. I think those three will be fighting for the two places to qualify. And I think Australia are, are, are going to do very well to get anywhere in in that group. I think they're going to be they're going to be what, the ones who miss out plus one of the other three. The next group is Group C. You're going to look at Colombia and uh, the Ivory Coast qualifying, with Japan and Greece going home. Group D is is the one England's in. So I, I actually think uh, Uruguay and England will qualify from that, with uh, Italy and Costa Rica missing out. Group E, we'll see France and Ecuador go through. Switzerland and Honduras going to miss out. Group F will have Argentina and Bosnia qualify with Iran and Nigeria missing out. Group G is another tough one. This is this is the US group. They've got Germany and Portugal, I think, are the two teams who are going to, to qualify. And I think uh, the US and Ghana will miss out. And the last group, um, it's probably one of the easier groups you've got. Belgium and Russia will qualify with uh, South Korea and Algeria missing out. And then after that, it depends who draws who and uh, goes from there. Well, of course... I'm going to ask the question. You're the expert. To drill that down a little further, who are yeah. your top favorites to win it all? I think you are going to – I can't see past Brazil and Argentina as, as the two teams who, who, are, who are going to do do the best out there. You know, Brazil are playing on their, in their own country, although they don't actually often play in Brazil. They, um, they, t- they tend to go around the world uh, – Maybe a bit like the Harlem Globetrotters, you know, playing exit, playing games and friendlies in other countries. And I think I think it's a money raising thing. And Argentina, they they have some wonderful attacking players. I think they're going to be uh, going to be very very difficult to beat. But that said, they haven't been past the quarterfinals for 24 years, so you just don't know. The, the one reservation I've got about Brazil is just you just wonder how the pressure will 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 affect the players. You know, in 1950, Brazil lost uh, the final to Uruguay. Uh, they lost 2-1. And the goalkeeper, a guy called Barbosa, he was blamed for the defeat. They, he let in a goal uh, 11 minutes from the end. And he, he recalled in an interview before, shortly before he died, he, he remembered being in a supermarket 20 years after the final. And this mother pointed out to a child. She pointed at him and said, look, that's the man who made Brazil cry. And he just said, he said, he said I had to live with this for the rest of my life. I let this goal in. So... I don't know how much pressure is going to be on the on, on the home players to to perform. So that might get to them. You never know. But all you can judge them on is, is the quality of the players and the fact that South American teams do well in South America. So I, I just can't see either, past either one of those two. Well, Rob, thank you so much for your input today. We really appreciate your insights. And we want to wish you the best of luck for you and your team of England in the World Cup. Thank you. We'll need it. <laughs> we'll need it. Hey guys, I just wanted to take a minute and let you know that I really love making this podcast and interviewing these guests. And I want to ask a favor of you to make sure that this show is as great to listen to for you as it is to make for me. If there is a specific topic about Z-Code or sports betting that you want us to address on one of our upcoming podcasts, or maybe even a sports investor that you would like to hear an interview with, I need to know about that. Please go over to iTunes, leave us hopefully a good review, and in that review, tell us what you'd like to hear more of on this show. 
We are putting this show together to help you become the best sports investor you can be. And we really want and need your input. So do me that favor. Go over to iTunes and do it right now. It'll only take a minute. That's going to help this show grow in popularity. That's going to help us know what you are wanting to hear on the show. That's going to help get the word out. And this community is only going to continue to grow and to get better. And it's a win for everybody. And that's what we're here for is to make winners. See you in the next episode and have a fantastic day. Thanks for tuning in.